Hi, you're listening to Conversations About Adoption, and my name is Jen. In this podcast episode, I feature a conversation I had with Liliana, who is a mutual from TikTok. She is an adoptee who was brought to the United States as a toddler and adopted into a white home. So she is an international and a transracial adoptee. She speaks about her experience, and but she is the one who told me that, you know, more of us need to be uplifting indigenous voices, and she's not wrong. Indigenous doesn't just mean North American, you know, but it also means indigenous people everywhere in the world because they've all experienced horrible colonization, historical trauma, and generational trauma that's been brought about by that. And their voices do need uplifted because they're an extreme minority. So I will be including some information in the show notes about the people she comes from, roughly, because of course she, d- she doesn't know exactly. And um, I hope that you will check those links out. And I hope that in your travels on social media, when you see an indigenous creator, you will help support them. Like, share, comment, repost, and help uplift other indigenous voices. Okay, so I'm talking to Liliana, who is a mutual and friend from TikTok, and I don't know anything about her story. So I will be learning right along with whoever's listening. So I know you're an adoptee, right? Yeah, good evening. I um, I was adopted in 1976 from Quito, Ecuador, and it is believed, I don't actually know, that I was about two and a half to three years old at the time of my adoption. Oh, you weren't even a baby. You were, well, you were a toddler. Yeah, I was a toddler. But um, my adoptive mother had said that she had wanted somebody who was like bigger, potty trained and would be able to speak. But apparently I failed at all those things from right off the bat. (laughs) And like, how are you like, you're just going to come there knowing English or what? Yeah, I actually when um, when I was adopted, I actually didn't speak for a very long period of time most likely due to trauma and the language barrier. So I, and I was little, like two and a half, three years old, you're not really saying much to begin with. So, yeah. you know, I, I, maybe they had hoped that like, I'd be young enough that, um, that I would just acclimate quickly or, or not remember it. I don't really know what the thought process was, honestly, you know, I, I've asked and my adoptive mother was just kind of annoyed that I asked questions about what her thinking was. Yeah. Like, I I mean, imagine the confusion. I mean, I believe toddlers can understand more than they can communicate. So, yeah. like, you probably understood what people were saying to you, and then all of a sudden you couldn't understand what people were saying to you. I, you know um, what I mean? My memories are in English. So I hmm. have memories of being in Ecuador, but when I oh, remember wow. it, my memories are English. So it, it, it's a very weird thing to know that like I did not speak this language but the way that I remember things from that period before I was adopted I think of them in in English in my head and then now as an adult trying to learn Spanish and Quechua uh I I literally go back and forth like I'll do English Spanish English English Spanish like I I have to go back and forth in my head to try and figure out what's going on and and the different languages and nuances to the languages it's interesting because kids like they have a mind, you know, that absorbs language. And 
I was going to Mexico every other year when I was little because my mom was Mexican and her family was all there. So I learned Spanish very young. And it's kind of funny because my memories of being there are not in Spanish. But when I hear people speaking in Spanish, I start thinking in Spanish. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird. I don't even think about it. I just start. Yeah, I've started to because I've been really practicing and learning and trying. I started to actually start thinking things in Spanish, if that makes sense, like Mm -hmm. replies and answers. I've started to it started to come where I start to say things like, you know, like, how have you been? Oh, bien, bien. Like I start to think it. I start to like know the replies, the responses, you know, kind of parroting almost. Um, so that is starting to happen, but it, it's it's much harder because the sentence structure feels backwards to me. So. Yeah, it is. My grammar sucks in Spanish. <laughs> it's yeah, weird. but my cousins understand. They get it because they like they know about as they probably know more English than I know Spanish. But some of them, like they lo- know less English, but they still understand what I'm saying and they understand our grammars flip flopped. You know. Yeah. I think the reason why I start thinking in Spanish, my brain's like preparing for if I have to say something to this person so that I'm ready to say the words in Spanish. And it's not like it's automatic. I have to think what I'm going to say. Exactly. I find myself doing the same thing where I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of how this, the, the, the conversation is going to go and what I would say in the proper way, but it's really hard, you know, because for me, like I wouldn't just be speaking English. I would have two other languages. I would have yeah. had English and Quechua, which is like that one's even harder because it's like um, there's not as many Quechua speakers. If you go to Ecuador, um, the, the older generation, so people that would have been like my mother's age, they they kind of frown upon. The, they say the Indians. They still, you know, they're like, oh, well, that's just that's the Indians' way. And it, it, it's been really hard for me to connect because all of the people that I'm finding from Ecuador and from my town are like, they're very like shameful of their indigenous past. And it, it, it makes it harder for me to navigate where, where my people have been and where I come from, because there's, there's just so much colonization and with yeah. that colonization, they became ashamed of they are i mean if you go and walk around and look at the pictures of the people there it's quite obvious that they are not european that they yeah. are you know like yeah. everyone looks this way yeah yeah there's a lot of i mean even in mexico with you know the indigenous the aztec mayan people and then the um you know the spaniards they're all basically a mix of the two for the most yeah. part and like my mom would describe it you know, is like my darker cousins have more Indian blood. I'm saying in air quotes, that's my mom's phrase for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, but, and also like, you know, you're like, I am, we're older. That was the proper terminology when we were growing up was Indian. Mm -hmm. And that was very confusing for me as well, because Mm -hmm. like my parents would say Indian and I, they didn't do any explanation. Yeah. So, and, but then I would also be told I was Spanish. So I thought growing up, I was Spanish my whole childhood until I was in late teens before I ran into somebody else who was from my, my, 
country and who was like, did you know there's like a lot of illegal adoptions? Did you know, like this person oh, wow. was telling, yeah, literally on a Greyhound bus, I was going home for a visit to visit a friend and this young man was telling me about this. And I, I literally, yeah, I literally called my adoptive mom and I was like, did you hear about this? And she was like, you know, we saw your, your picture was run in the newspaper. Everything was done legally. Um, and I think on her behalf that she truly believed everything was done legally. Yeah. But now as an adult and trying to working with plan angel and, uh, and everything, I, I'm starting to see that most likely my adoption was not legal. You've been so trying to piece it together. Yeah. Like the, um, the orphanage I came from, there's the only documentation they have is like a abandonment, a child abandonment documentation. But beyond that, there's nothing else. Like even like when my I was brought in is not there. Like I just kind of like appear basically when my parents are ready to adopt me. Hmm. That's when that's when there's only the only documentation. And you know, that's it's not a good sign. A lot of children who were relinquished have someone that they were relinquished by or somebody, if they were found, like I was yeah. said to be found in Quito. Um, and then some of my paperwork says Quito and some of it says Guayaquil, which is like on the coast and Quito's in the mountains. I was two and a half, three years old. There's no way I was walking <laughs> from, from Guayaquil to Quito, you know, it'd be like walking across Wisconsin. Yeah, that's, that's and your mom just like defended it or wants to believe that that's how I mean it, my adoptive parents did so many things wrong so many things wrong but I will say this for them is that I truly believe that they thought that they were doing the right thing and I mm -hmm. think that they thought they were doing everything legally mm -hmm. I, and you know it didn't come out, I think, until about 1986, the amount of illegal adoptions that came out of Ecuador. Wow. So, and at that point, 1986, I think I was like 14, 15, like, what are you going to do at that point? So, you know, I, I don't think that they, they intended to, I don't think they went into the situation with the intention to harm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was what it was as it progressed it became incredibly harmful yeah did they um adopt due to infertility or was it because they were saviors or whatever um both. or both so, <laughs> yeah um I, I i am no longer in contact with my adoptive parents my oh. father died when i was in my 20s and i did try to like come back and make some kind of like amends or get some mm -hmm. kind of closure because mm -hmm. I ended up in foster care and oh. I ended up aging out of foster care but like I had gotten a phone call that my adoptive father had cancer and I did come to him and, and try to like I wanted him to say he was sorry and to mm -hmm. apologize for what he had done because he was physically abusive and that's why I ended up in foster care um but I never got that and there's never any closure yeah no but like, and then like when I talked about my adoption with them, there was never any like apologies or understanding of what they did. The only things I did know is I was adopted due to the fact that my adoptive mother had been trying to get pregnant. She couldn't. The story that I was told by her was that she saw these beautiful Indian children at church and she wanted one. So. <laughs> oh man, that reminds me of Desiree's peanut butter skin story. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, obviously fetishization. Um, I, and I was told that I, that they picked the prettiest child 
out of like the pictures that they had gotten. So not subjective uh, too. It it it's it's made me very um self-conscious of my looks and my appearance and um it, it very it, it was a very weird thing to hear like we wanted you because you're beautiful but then they never brought me around anyone else that looked like me mm. so and especially in the 80s like you think about the commercials on television you think about the movies you just didn't see anyone who looked native american you didn't see anyone that was like me you know and you might see someone who was like Spanish, but it was usually like Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was never in like a beautiful light. Like, you know, here are these people who have this rich, beautiful culture. Mm-hmm. So I grew up not knowing that I, that I was, that I came from a place of beauty. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I didn't know that I could be beautiful, even though I didn't see myself reflected in the world. So to hear that I was chosen because I was beautiful, but then never to be given any mirroring was very confusing for me. Yeah. I mean, I I had that because, I mean, everybody has like that lack of genetic mirroring that's adopted, but like I was adopted into a Latino family and it didn't affect me when I was a kid. But when the first time we went back when I was 20, there was like a big gap of years we didn't go because my sister was in California. So we went out there instead to Mexico. And my first time back when I was a young adult, uh, that's when it hit me. I had like a big old identity crisis because my mom's cousins were coming and I didn't know them. And they were looking at me like, you know, who's who's that, you know? Yeah. Then when we went to the (laughs) we went to the markets like the next day, these people were calling me, you know, like cat calling and calling me blondie. Hey, Warita. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, I wanted to dye my hair. It was terrible. I felt so singled out and I never want to feel that way, you know. Yeah. And um, but I did, I had like a that was my first when I felt like a real identity crisis was like feeling out of place. But yeah, it's backwards. It's weird, I know from like a you know i was i basically was raised like a white latino you know yeah no so I mean, but it, you were though because you you are like so mm-hmm. i can imagine that, that that's very confusing because you know when you are within the latina community mm-hmm. we have every color from you know the blondest fairest to the darkest of dark you know mm-hmm. colonization and such yes yes it becomes yeah it becomes so confusing then and Mm -hmm. to figure out where you fit into the latinx community is incredibly difficult and with all the the different you know feelings that people have about their identity and where they come from is is i get like real protective and like mad when people are prejudiced towards latinos i'm like hey you know (laughs) (laughs) you don't know what you're talking about just shut up you know so like um did your parents adopt any other kids or was it just you? No, I, I always wanted them to get like another kid because I was really lonely when mm-hmm. I was little, I, you know, and everything was like really hard because there was so much focus on why on me not fitting in, mm-hmm. me not acclimating correctly, not me not being moldable to what mm-hmm. they had hoped to have a child. So like I always wanted a sibling. So at least like I really wanted a really bad big brother so they could be mad at him. <laughs> you know <laughs> and not me <laughs> that's so funny that had to be hard though probably felt like you were under a magnifying lens all the time yeah um I, 
I had a therapist like years later who was like, if your family, if you were a baseball game, like what part would you be playing? And I had assumed that I was the pitcher. And um, like, this is just my teen years. Like I had to go back with my mm-hmm. parents through, through like um, through foster care. I, I was actually went back with them for a while. And I remember my father saying, well, he was in the, the stands watching everything. And my mother felt that she was the catcher. And now it's like, I realized that like I was just a little kid that was put in the middle of an adult baseball game mm-hmm. and expected to run the bases and hit the ball and catch the ball. And, um, and they wanted to be in the stands and applaud and take, you know, credit for the amazing child that they had, you know, put in this baseball game. Whereas, you know, I should have never been there at all. No. That's, I didn't know you ended up in foster care. That's crazy. How old were you when that happened? So I, it happened to me. So I was very young the first time. Like I was, I think I was seven. I was in second grade. Um, and then I was returned when I was 13 to them. Um, and that was like the worst. And I became like unruly. I failed seventh grade. Um, I had to repeat. And then it was just like, I, I literally just started running away. I actually, um, my friend had a, an apartment complex that she lived in and I would go and sleep in the basement where the laundry was done and like the storage area, because I felt like that was safer than being in that household with them. Wow. So Were they both abusive or was it just your dad? My, it, this is a really hard one for me because growing up, I always thought it was just my dad, but the truth is my mother allowed it to happen. My mother never protected me. And not only did she not protect me, but she always defended his abuse to me. You know, like if I got better grades, if I kept my room clean, if I wasn't so it didn't talk back, if I didn't, you know, any number of things, any of my behaviors. And, you know, a lot of the behaviors that I had were due to trauma. You know, I was a traumatized child who had never gotten help. I also, I had ADHD, which no one had known. So it was just like, there was so much going on that was never attended to so you know yeah it was the same for me I didn't really I wasn't like abused by my dad but there was a lack of understanding that I struggled it was just you know you you don't apply yourself you need to try harder that's all I ever heard and it's like and at 44 I finally got diagnosed with ADHD and everything made sense and I'm like oh yeah and not only that but I found out I have um what is it that where you can't like keep numbers in your head? Mm. I, I forget what it's called now, but like, I also had that. I recently found out and I was like, oh, that's why I couldn't tell time until I was like in fourth grade. Like, <laughs> like all these things added up. Like if I had been diagnosed, if I had been medicated, most likely I could have done better and been the child that these people had wanted. Yet they had no medical history. They had no trauma information. Therefore, it was just like this incredible recipe for disaster. But they didn't catch that stuff for us back then. Either. No, it, it just really wasn't thought that, you know, girls get ADHD, especially if you were like, you know, the inattentive type, where you just kind of daydreamed. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know, was, or yep. if, like, you know, they took me and I did have like um, an IQ test done mm-hmm. and I did find they're like, yeah, she's really bright. She's just not applying herself. 
meanwhile, like it took so much work just to try and keep up and lose focus, then catch up, then lose focus. Yeah. Sometimes it's I don't know brutal. if it's daydreaming. I wonder if it's not like disassociating. It's more like it, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, absolutely. I, I, you know, I was an abused child. So obviously, you know, I was disconnected from everything for a really long time it's crazy as you ended up in foster care at eight and you were put back with them at 13 like nowadays you would have been tpr'd and stuck in the system till you aged out you know like there would have been a tpr is all i'm saying like i know you you said you aged out but that's that's crazy so you got taken away the first time because of abuse or yeah yeah um I had actually disclosed a couple of times about my abuse. Um, one time I was very small and I, I had gotten hit with a belt. Like, and I told the teacher, I was like, I can't sit down because my butt hurts. You know, like, I was like, literally like my body was in pain and they were just like, okay, well, good to the nurse. And the nurse put band-aids on me and sent me back up to class. And then um, another time I, like I had gotten in trouble for something, some childish thing. And the teacher was like, I'm going to have to call home. And I was like, uh, please don't call because my dad's going to beat me. And like, literally she called my mom and my mom was like, Oh, Liliana lies. So I had to go to the guidance counselor to discuss my lying problem. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was your dad abusive to your mom too, or just you? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to go back and remember, but like, he was very controlling. He was very, um, uh, like every chance he could, he would put her down, you mm. know, and, and just, you know, make her feel horrible about herself, like her weight and like her looks, her intelligence. He would always constantly be on her about that. And, but I, I never saw physical abuse that I can remember it. Like, I, I don't remember that being a part, but as for me, it was very physical along with the verbal, you know, do you, I know it's hard to like know what somebody else was thinking, but do you think it was one of these circumstances where your mom wanted to adopt and your dad was just going along with it? I absolutely feel that way. I, um, as I've gotten older, like my, my adoptive grandparents on my mother's side, um, you know, I talked to them a couple of times. They had, they were actually really sweet and good to me, but like, I couldn't stay with them. I think that my grandfather thought maybe it would like disrupt his relationship with his only child, or maybe he felt it wasn't his place. But I, I do know that he had said something that my mother had hoped that when I came into the situation that it would help my father to stop drinking. Oh, Yeah. Wow. That, too. <laughs> that was a job you were given, I guess, right? From yeah. 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 I failed my job. My very first job I got fired from. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but not funny. Right. Oh. <laughs> That's adoptee humor. It's great, isn't it? That dark humor defense <laughs> mechanism. Yeah. You got to love it. Um. Wow. That's a lot. I'm just processing it. Like. That's a terrible situation to put you into. So you're an international adoptee and a transracial adoptee. And like, there was no understanding of, oh, hey, this child's going to be going through cultural shock and like language barrier and all the stuff that's so much to put on a child. Yeah. And it's wild because, you know, even now I'll be, I'll be 50 next year. 
even now I still feel like the the loss and the disconnect from my community not even so much like like I always will feel the loss of my mother that will I will carry that forever yeah but you know but also like for me there's also the community that I have lost and you know it, it, it coming into this age I have found other people from that area and I have started to slowly reconnect to that and and, and it's such like a, this wild amazing thing to have happened because it, it it's bittersweet you know there's there's times that people have brought me foods mm-hmm. and they're like you know this is the food of our ancestors and I, and I'm so grateful to have it but then also it's like this incredible feeling of like I should have had this my whole life mm-hmm. this should have never been taken from me mm-hmm. and the fact that I have people of the community who come and talk to me and teach me and help me to connect in as many ways possible it just shows that like had I stayed in my community you know, it's very possible that my mother could not have taken care of me or a relative, but at least I would have been with other people in my community learning my my ancestry and my heritage Your and culture. knowledge of the land, you know, and, and everything that goes on. Like, you know, I, I've, I, from what I've learned, it's like all the things that I've learned now as an adult have always felt like things that were inside of me already. So it, it it should have been cultivated all along. You know, it's like a seed that was dormant all this time that's waited to blossom. And how sad is it that, you know, that it, like, it was like, it, you know, how sometimes you put them in the freezer and you wait, you know, for, and it has to go through their whole season. I just got lost in the freezer for forever. Yeah. That's an interesting metaphor. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's like that with like reunion also like for example last year i got to meet all of my dad's family they had a family reunion around the fourth of july and um like they invited me and i'm just seeing all this these people know each other and there's all this camaraderie and i don't know anybody i don't know how they're related to me i know they're related to me and then like there's just that massive loss of time because i never knew them like here i am 52 years old meeting them for the first time you know and that's it's just like and you like you want to feel like you belong but you don't feel like you're just an observer you know it's just you know it's funny um you know, in, in my reconnection and finding people that I, that are from my community, I have never felt like an observer or an outsider. I've actually really felt welcomed in. And like, like sometimes I just sit down and I'll just watch, you know, other, other people speaking or like, and I'm, I'm just absorbing everything I can. Yeah. You're so hungry for that. I've never, I've never felt on the outside of it because I guess we, you know, I, I think that's part of being indigenous is that there's so much disruption, you know, to our lives that it's very understood that this these things happen, mm-hmm. that disruptions and displacement and lost children. It's just almost like a fact of life that this is what historical happens to trauma. Us. Yeah, that, trauma. that you know, whenever we find each other, it's like okay, quick, come in, you know. A, that's beautiful. That you know, and I think you know, I think a lot of adoptees are searching for that as well 
Yeah. I think a lot of Americans are searching for that. I think Westernization has been really, you know, destructive to that need, that, that human need of community. Yeah. Like the only place where I didn't really feel out of place and uncomfortable was at my sister's. Now, the first time I went there, I felt really like it was difficult. Like I was feeling unsure of myself and I'm like, am I rambling too much? Am I going on and on? And then of course I started talking about adoption and explaining my stance. And, um, you know, she heard me out and was like, okay, she's much younger than me. And then, but it was different because I think because it was just like one-on-one or me and her partner and her, and that was it. It was just us. But like with the whole family thing, that's where it was really weird for me. And, but I can, I get what you're saying. Cause another thing is Latinos, I'm not speaking for indigenous because I don't, I'm not going to try to, but like my Latino family, my aunts and uncles and my first cousins were always very welcoming. I never really felt out of place with them. It was when we went back all those years later, it was my mom's cousins who came and I don't know them. And they're the ones where I felt out of place and unsure of myself, not with my, my generation of cousins and stuff like that. That was, they were always accepting and there was no very warm, loving, come and eat kind of people, you know? Yeah. I I find it like really wild, like with reconnecting, especially like the Latina part of me, like a lot of people are very understanding of that. And a lot of them have been like, well, what can we do to help? You know, I have a cousin in this area, you know, you know, they might be able to help with this. And I see that in the indigenous community as well, where people will message me and be like, Hey, I heard your story. I saw what you were saying. And, um, you know, and even though I come from South America and not North America, we're most of TikTok when we talk about being native is mm-hmm. North America. I've never been told like you don't belong in this space or this is not for you. Like it's always been like this understanding that like, you know, like I'm like little sister, even though I'm old, older. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's, you're new to the culture, your little sister. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's it's really it's a very interesting place to like to connect and find other people but like everyone has a story like mine everybody knows someone like my, myself where they're like yeah this happened to my cousin or yes this happened to so and so this is and it's also a huge reason why like we fight for ICWA you yeah know, is is so that these these losses these cultural losses this the knowledge of the land and you know the rich sources and yeah. being able to care for the land like that that is so important in native cultures you know understanding and and that connection that we have to all of the relatives that you know that we have on this 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 planet yeah you know and if that gets lost what are we doing to our, to each other to ourselves in our future i've always had a great deal of respect for indigenous people and a lot of sorrow too for the colonization that happened i I had to do a research project last year. We had to pick a topic and it wasn't, I couldn't pick it. So otherwise it would have been adoption related and it yeah, ended right. up being um, on indigenous suicide and mental health. And I learned a whole lot about the effects of generational trauma and historical trauma on indigenous people. And it's all of North America and South America. It's not just North America, you know, it all, all the people's experienced colonization and destruction at the hands of Europeans you know it's worldwide 
yeah everywhere the aborigines in africa and yeah like everywhere everywhere yeah yeah it's it's really sad colonization is just ugly yeah it's a lot you know and i think that a lot of adoptees understand that as well because they have dealt with so much loss that a lot of adoptees also fight really hard for ICWA and you know right now um a very hot topic is baby Chanel yeah and you know everything that's happening with her and a lot of people are speaking out because they understand that loss and because they understand what it means to be disconnected not just from their families but to have that extra layer of community loss too so yeah that's a huge thing yeah yeah people understand that what she stands to lose by not being raised within her culture and that's why they're speaking out about it do you know where the case is currently because i kind of um break off tiktok still, wasn't following i know him. i know it's, it's actually really hard to follow everything um there's actually a baby chanel page on tiktok um you know bring chanel home that i would recommend people follow um Anupiak Potato does a lot of updates on there. I know that they're waiting on another court date. Um, that one's a hard one for sure. You know, with everything that's going on with that situation, it's just absolutely heartbreaking to see this child being taken from her people. I mean, I thought that the courts ruled that the grandmother or the grandparents were supposed to get her back. Yeah. So um, this is this is a huge issue with ICWA is that that passed we have we have won this legislation Mm -hmm. twice now Mm -hmm. but um and the the community that baby chanel comes from their elders have said this is where she belongs Mm -hmm. but the woman who the you know do you remember the story that you know chanel's mother was murdered by her father the father then placed her with people who are not tribal not related and he is in jail for it Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I think it's, you know, his life, but I don't actually remember the, the details on that. And then um, the grandmother who was this woman's mother, you know, who was murdered, who is able to take care of this child, who has proven that she's able to, she actually runs a daycare. She obviously has a job and cares for children. This, this is, this is literally what adoptees fight for. Yeah. She was told by her tribal council that she should have custody of this child. But the white family who has the child has decided that they don't want to relinquish her, that they this child belongs to her and they want to adopt her. And they will not allow the grandmother any visitation. They've actually put a, a court order of protection against her. Um, and it has gone now to American court system which tribal law is law it's sovereign law Mm -hmm. it's it's not like treaties these tribal treaties like people act like that is like a native american treaty but it's not it is an it is an agreement between the american government and a sovereign nation that they agreed upon so native people are sovereign nation they are, it would be like going to Canada and saying, well, we agree or don't agree. Like mm-hmm. we've made, we've made this decision and we've come to this conclusion. So for this to be taken from native hands in a court that's already been said, like, this is what we say, and then go to an American court and, you know, have all this happen. It, it's, it's totally a 
like spitting on this treaty and this agreement that the American government made with the native people. And it's not on the native side that the issue is, mm-hmm. you know, because they've done everything correctly according to the laws and agreements. Yeah. It's, it's the family that doesn't want to give up. Like, I can't understand if there's family members that want and can raise a child. I can't understand why somebody would center themselves so that mu- so much that they're going to fight it like this. Because, you know, the legal fees are going to be astronomical <sighs> and they're just like, or unless they got somebody to do a pro bono or whatever. I've heard that this lawyer that is, is, um, that is with Nikki Richmond ha- is has wants to take this further and get other native children into American hands, which it, there's like we discussed earlier, the fetishization of native children and um, the money that is made through adoptions. You know, when people want a native child, they're very likely to pay more for them because you know that there's prices for us you know so it's it's a lot there's a lot of like what possibly could happen so this court this case is so huge and so important and more people need to talk about it because it's going to affect future generations Mm -hmm. it shouldn't it shouldn't be affecting this generation at all you know this came out and i think like right around the time that i was being born that this law came out Yeah. So but of course, it doesn't know. protect anybody in South America because it's American. No. So ICWA only protects children who are federally or in a tribe that is federally recognized. Yeah. And, and they have to be enrolled. So it, there's there's so much there. Um, you know, I, I would love to see it expanded because if you ever seen, if you ever look at the, the rules of ICWA, it is literally what every adoptee like fights for, like, you know, staying within the community, going with family first, um, promising that even if you cannot be with direct family members, that you will not lose your connections to your community. There, there's just so many things like we don't change names. And it, it's, it's actually like, it's called the gold star standard. And in it's really beautiful. It's, it's totally child focused and I would love to see it expanded into other communities, but yeah, yeah. but I yeah, wish no. that would be that way. But this, it seems like this country is trying to go towards Gilead instead of that gold standard, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Adoption is all about money. <laughs> yup. Yeah. Are, we are commodity. We are a resource and native people have always been considered a resource yeah the only thing like about my adoption that i was glad for is that my parents didn't pay anything for me they just paid like a couple hundred dollars in legal fees so you know that i can live with that i wasn't like tens of thousands of dollars or some crazy ridiculous astronomical amount of money you know like because that would bug me i haven't found my the check that my parents paid for me but i'm i know it was in the thousands and i find that wild like you paid thousands of dollars for a child just to abuse them and then let them go. Like, it's just, it's uh, the thinking on that is crazy. Right. Because they have an ideal. They're adopting an idea. They're not adopting, you know, reality is what I think of when somebody's, Oh, we're going to adopt this newborn baby. And like, all they're thinking is like that 
instant gratification of newborn baby. They're not thinking about what's going to come later with as they're growing up and as they're having like trauma responses, behaviors and behaviors, communication in kids. And like, and, you know, especially back in the seventies, nobody thought about all that. You know, we were like Gen Xers. They're like, just go play, you know? Yeah, well, and like the blank slate theory that oh, has God. been disproven and that people still believe to this day that personalities are malleable but meanwhile like you when people biologically have a child they want their child to to pick up the things that are about them that they love about themselves you know you want your child to be artistic like you are or musically gifted like you are like why would you think that if you went to a total stranger that you can put your your hopes dreams and gifts into that child that child's going to have gifts and talents from their lineage you know exactly and like it's crazy because like i was i grew up i was 30 when i went through reunion and i am more like my biological family than i could ever be like my adopted family even though i was raised by them yeah you know like yeah i got the latino culture and everything but like i i just i i look like my dad sarcasm you know and like it's just it's and my sister and i are, are quite a bit alike even though we have different moms she's much taller than me and she's like almost 20 years younger than me but she, we're very like-minded she's gonna get her master's in counseling at some point that's what i want to do so it's like it's really, yeah wow. <laughs> it's just so crazy i so, see it with my kids like I, that's the first time i've ever seen like myself reflected anyone yeah they're so much like me that sometimes I'm like like I'll just be like sitting there in shock and awe like I can't believe there's like three more of me in this world and then even like I um I have a grand I have grandchildren now and I was I had made a TikTok the other day and I you know you play it back and you want to make sure that you're not like you don't have like boogers hanging at your nose or anything you know and I was watching my eyebrows and I was like what my granddaughter makes these same faces. Like, this is the weirdest thing to see now generationally. Yeah. Even though she looks, she doesn't look so much like me. Like my kids look are like the spitting image of me. My granddaughter is very fair. And she has like, you know, hazel eyes and like curly hair. My hair is very but straight. But there's still features. Yeah. Oh, but... her, her expressions are totally me. <laughs> and I said something to my daughter about it. And she's like, oh yeah, all the time, mom. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, I oh, I just had something. I lost it. Oh, man. Those, those features, like, it's, it's always very profound, I think, for adoptees when they have a kid. And then they finally have that genetic mirroring in their house all the it's, time. It it's is like, wild. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's awing. And it's, it's beautiful, too. You know, like, like, how beautiful is it to see yourself reflected in a way of beauty and love and to see that you finally get to have that family and those connections that you had always longed and when you see your children interacting with their family members and that they're connected and they're loved like all those things that you lost you now it's healing is you get to you heal through their through their connections and doing better for them yeah it's that generational thing breaking the generational trauma I know what I was going to say. The first time I laid eyes on my grandmother, I was like, well, that's what I'm going to look like when I hit 70. 
I mean, that was literally the first thought that flew across my brain was like, holy shit. Like, I just, I I felt like I was looking in a, an aged mirror. It was really weird. It was such a weird feeling. So have you, have you ever had a chance to go back to Ecuador or have you thought about it or do you want to? I, I really want to, but at this point I've had no one to go back to. Mm-hmm. And to go back and just look around feels like just an emptiness. Like I'm just running to another empty location. An like empty superficial. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I need some, someone to go back home to. Yeah. I, I need that before I can go back. Um, and it's funny because everyone's always like, you know, I'll take you. We'll go. And I'm like, it's, they're like, we can crowdfund. I'm like, it's not about the money. It's about who am I going home to? Right. Yeah. I, I you haven't found anybody yet. I found like third and fourth cousins who are like, yeah, I don't even know who my grandparents are. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. So it's been rough. And it, you have to understand too, like Ecuador has, you know, there's natural disasters. There's, um, there's constant conflict due to, um, you know, the mining of our resources. Um, our, our, we just had a president, um, a potential candidate for president was shot and murdered. Um, yeah, it, it, there's just so much going on there that it's like, I really, I really will struggle to find anything in a country that has so much conflict and so much disruption, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, how like that. Yeah. I mean, there's parts that are absolutely gorgeous. Like I definitely want to see the Galapagos Islands someday. But I know that going to Quito, the little bit of memories that I have, um I want to go there and I want to meet family. Yeah. I, I need to. You know, to me it just feels like I'll sit there and just look at everybody and not still I won't have that moment where I get to have my person, my people. Yeah. I I think I can understand that. I think that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people that are internationally adopted is finding like, because there's the language barriers, there's the culture barrier, there's the fact that maybe their record keeping isn't as good in other countries. You know, there's the fact that they're probably not like just doing DNA tests for fun, you know, and, yeah. and all those kind of things. It's, it's, um, it makes it difficult. I have a friend who's an Indian adoptee from India and like he's did ancestry and he's found like third and fourth cousins, but he's sure he's not ever going to find his actual parents, you know, because it's a very poor area of India and stuff like that. And like, yeah. I, I feel for that. Like he's just had to accept it, you know? I, I mean, I've definitely gotten to the point in my life where I realized that, you know, I'm, with me turning 50 and with everything that's going on in my country that I most likely will go to my grave never knowing another biological family member other than my children. That's yeah. sad. It is. And th it, this is never discussed in adoption. Like everyone always talks about the beauty, mm -hmm. you know, the love. And it's like, do I have love in my life now? Yes, because I have my family that I've made. Do mm -hmm. I have a good life? Yes, because I had to work really super hard to to find my place in this place that I have been 
you know, dropped off to. Yeah. Uh, but I will always mourn the losses that I've had. Sure. You know, and I will always wonder about what could have been, who I could have been. And I, and I very often wonder, like, should have been. Like, I, it, my mother at this point, if she is still alive, she most likely needs somebody to care for her especially with all the conflict in my country. So that there's always that, like we don't talk about the loss and the, the hurt that adoptees have in these processes. We very often only speak about, you know, the adoptive parents and their joy and their happiness. And people think that, you know, when they took me from my country that was full of conflict, I was saved, but they thought only thought about the two-year-old little girl. They never thought about the 50-year-old woman who would want all those connections. Right. And who says, I mean, that you needed to be saved? Like, nobody actually knows what kind of situation you came from. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for all the money that everyone spends, because, you know, it can be from, like, 10000 to $50,000 that people you spend to internationally adopt. For, like, $300, you could have saved a family. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have help them their business or you could have helped their you know their farmland you could have provided meals for that or rent for that time yeah and and that's you know if you really want to save a child you're going to save their community that they come from because the community is you know what will provide forever that's like i've seen i saw some tiktoks today where they were people talking about adopting kids from the middle east and i'm like oh god here we go you know and somebody made a video was it you that made a video saying that basically you know that or maybe it was um melissa i can't remember but somebody was saying addressing it and saying no if you want to save the child you help the whole community not just take the child from the community you know, yeah, I think I think Melissa and I both did a TikTok on it because it's just it's so frustrating, you know, to to see that and that mentality, you know, yeah. because we only think about the little baby, we think right. about the baby, and we don't think about the young person going to elementary school. We don't think about the middle schooler. We don't think about the college student. We don't think about the young people who are having children of their own. We never mm-hmm. think about a an adoptee holistically. Like we're always thinking of them as babies. Yes. We never think about them beyond that initial quote unquote saving. Permanently infantilized. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, why should we have access to our records? We're just kids, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Protect us from our own information. Yeah. So I do don't you- know how my birth certificate need needs protection but yeah i was gonna say did you do you have like more than one birth certificate or i have no birth certificate i have naturalization papers you don't have a a birth certificate at all nothing no i like i said i don't exist um in ecuador until i was about to be adopted then all of a sudden there is a record of abandonment that is all i have and that was just right before your parents adopted you yeah (laughs) so weird I, I didn't exist before that. Whereas um, after the 80s, it was like in Ecuador, they were like, you know, you have to have a birth certificate. The mother has to relinquish. So younger adoptees have more information than I do due, yeah. to, due to the trafficking because there was a lot of illegal trafficking, which is really sad. I've seen a couple I, of 
uh, documents where people have found their families. And it's just, it's so sad. I, um, because it's interesting how it goes down in other places. There was, um, Natalie, she's a, an adoptee from Colombia adopted to Norway. I think she said she has three birth certificates. So she has a birth certificate issued in Colombia and her mother was told she died and she didn't, she was stolen. And then they made her birth certificate in Colombia with her adoptive parents on it. And then when she got to Norway, she got a new Norwegian birth certificate with her adoptive parents on it. And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> but she was, she does have that copies is, of all of them. That is crazy because, you know, in the U.S., um, I've talked to other <clears throat> adoptees who have had like, you know, they've been adopted one or two times and all of a sudden their names have been changed and then there's too much activity going on that social security number. And then they can't travel anywhere because they're, they're, it looks fraudulent. So like people don't realize how all these documentation changes they're you know affect us in, as adults like it, yeah. it it travels with us forever. I've never tried to get a passport. I drive going to Mexico back in the 70s and 80s and stuff. I didn't really need a passport to go to Mexico. Now you do. It was last time I traveled was in 2006 and they were like you better get a passport. So they kept telling me um because back then you could just travel with a voter's registration card to prove you're an american citizen <laughs> just to go to mexico or canada yeah pre 9-11 and then um but i never tried to get a passport and i know some adoptees struggle with getting one and i know that i would probably be able to get one easily because i have my birth certificate but i also have my adoption decree that explains why my birth certificate's dated like a year after i was born so Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I don't, um, I never got my adoption papers. Um, like I had to pay for them as an adult to get the papers that said, you know, that I was adopted. I, I for all my life, I've just had naturalization papers and a social security card. Huh. And I've had jobs like really question me on that. I'm like, this is what I have. <laughs> Do you want me or not? <laughs> yeah, that's a tough spot to put somebody in. I didn't think about that. Because some places want that birth certificate for identification and stuff. Right, yeah. Like, how'd I, your I, mom get you into school without one, you know? Yeah, well, that's what your naturalization papers are. It's supposed to be in lieu of an, oh. of, of a birth certificate. But, like, I've literally had to explain it to employers and teachers and other people. Like, this is what I have because I do not have a birth certificate. There is no sign of me being born. So. Wow. Yeah, and then they'll be like, I've never heard of this. I'm like, well good but i'm not lying <laughs> yeah i yeah. i never heard of that either that's interesting wow so my sister was born in mexico city and she was naturalized when she was very little like she doesn't even remember it but she has dual citizenship in the united states and mexico if she wants it yeah i recently looked into that because i was like i don't i don't know do i did i lose mine and according to the law in Ecuador, I should still be eligible to have um, my citizenship because I did not consent to being taken. Oh. Yeah. So, but then not actually being able to prove that I was really truly born there is, has been a little bit of a hang up and there's, it's a lot of red tape and it's very expensive to get that. So I'm like, you know what, maybe someday I'll prove that I like was born there. Like, you know, I did, I did the DNA. It says I'm 89.999% Andean Ecuadorian. So, 
I am. So, I was a little worried for a while. I was going, maybe I'm not. It is. Is that like, is that what the indigenous, I don't, I'm, I know tribe is a colonizer word, but I don't know what nation, I guess. Is that yeah. what the indigenous nation is, is Indian? No. So, I mean, there's, they would say like the people that would say like, oh, there's several tribes, there's several Indians. Um, for me, like everything shows that I would be Keshwa of the Kanari people. Kanari? Yeah. Is Keshwa from the Kanari? Because there's Keshwa from, which just means I'm from like the mountain region, but there's also Keshwa people who are more to like the Amazon. Okay. Um, so they, I obviously, I think that it's like Warani is what they're called, but I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. Um, so th- there's, there's several different, you know, indigenous people. Um, there's, there's different languages spoken through there, which was like a really hard thing for me, like growing up because, you know, I thought I had learned Spanish. I wasn't really sure. And I've always kind of like pushed it away because I was like, I really didn't know. And getting that DNA test was really the, the best thing for me because I was like, I didn't, I didn't know so many falsehoods were coming out about my adoption that like for a while, I was like, am I even really Ecuadorian? Could I be something else? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so it was, it was a relief to know that I truly was what I was told I was and that I came from where I came, I was told I came from. I always thought Quechua was just the language. It's the people. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So Quechua of the Andean, uh, the Canary, Canary, Canary. Is yeah. that with a C? It, it can be, and it can be with a K as well. It, oh, it's been done both ways. Yeah, I'm gonna, I because what I don't know if you saw, but when I put up the episode with um, Jenny, uh, her indigenous research, Tiano, Ty, I'm sorry, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, but I included some links in the show notes to articles about those indigenous people because this trying to you know you're very good advice from tiktok you know to help (laughs) uplift like it's november it's the perfect month to yeah yeah have indigenous people on it's nam and it's native american month or whatever they want to call that i forget what the country it's i i feel like it's I'm not trying to minimize it, but when the United States is like, oh, we're going to call it indigenous peoples, whatever. I'm like, yeah, too little, too late. You know, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't really take it seriously because I don't think anybody else does. Like, I have a lot of like reverence and respect for indigenous people, but this country has treated them like shit for centuries. Yeah. Since 1492. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What does Marley say? You know, teach the children. He was Columbus was a very great man. You know, it's like, no, no, he wasn't. You know, like I reflect on that now, like when I was in school and all the the pilgrims and the Indians and the displays. And I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, imagine how I felt, you know. Yeah, right. I I was in a foster home once where like my foster mom was like, I don't feel like making this food. So like there were little kids in the house and I was like, you know, 15, 16. So I made Thanksgiving dinner because I didn't want the kids to have not have Thanksgiving. Oh no. But like to to grow up and become an adult and realize truly what Thanksgiving is about the destruction of the Pequot people, like and that I consider them my relatives. Like we're indigenous to the Americas. Yes. These are my relatives, you know, we are related. And <laughs> to realize that like 
I was taken because of colonization and now I'm celebrating this colonizer holiday like it feels like such a betrayal to my ancestors like I'm so I'm so hurt by that you know I can only imagine what do you do on Thanksgiving because it's this holiday where most people aren't working so what do you do for that um really nothing like we really don't do anything we um like I'm from Pennsylvania so we do a lot of Wawa (laughs) Wawa I'm from Pennsylvania too I was born in Pittsburgh so you, I think you guys have like sheets, sheets yeah. out there. Oh yeah, we do. Yeah. So like Wawa is a little bit more like uh, a little bit fresher foods, a little bit like nicer. So like, and it's 24 hours. Like a convenience store. It is, but it's like, it's kind of a nice convenience store. Like if you were to have like the nicest gas station that you've ever been to combined yeah. with like a Starbucks, that's our Wawa. <laughs> oh, that sounds like our get goes we, that Pits- they have around Pittsburgh. It's like, do you know Giant Eagle? Do you guys have John Eagle grocery stores? No, no. Well, they have the same kind of thing. It's like a gas station. They call it Get No Get Go, but they've got like a lot of food in it, and it's they're pretty nice. Yeah, so it sounds like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's nicer it's just, than cheats. Yeah, so we do like um, we do some Wawa. Um, usually my my son is still lives with me. He's uh, twenty four, so like we'll just watch movies together, or sometimes we'll just you know go in our own rooms and just quietly sit and you know. Do your kids understand why you don't do the whole Thanksgiving thing? Oh yeah, they're they're on board with me. Like this year, I'll probably go up and visit my oldest because she decided to give me another grandchild. So ah, uh, yeah. So I'll probably go up there, but but there's not going to be like a Thanksgiving feast or anything like that. Um, most likely we'll just like you know like it'll be just regular time together that we just get to enjoy each other because you know we'll have off. I still, I still make a turkey, but it's because I only do one once a year and it's usually not been on Thanksgiving anymore. This year I'm working on Thanksgiving because I work at a crisis unit. So we're there 24 seven and, um, but I just like making the turkey and having stuff in the freezer, make pot pies out of. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand the fascination of turkey. Like, I don't even think it's that good, good of a food. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this guys. Yeah. I yeah, <laughs> I know. And now that I had a pet turkey for a couple of years and she was like so smart, I still like, I feel a little weird about eating turkey now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, even growing up, I kind of felt like turkey would, or Thanksgiving in general is kind of weird. It's just kind of brown and mushy. It's a very mushy food holiday. So I've never really been like, oh, this is a great thing. But to learn what it really truly was, I'm like, eh, I don't have to celebrate it anymore. I don't have to have, this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I just, I keep going back to the fact that you were in foster care and like, it's kind of ironic because of how messed up this foster care system is. How many foster homes were you in? I honestly, it's hard for me to remember. The last year I was in, when I was 17, I was in four foster homes. That's really all I ever remember. I bothered to remember. Right. I, I've and I've had some really good parents and I've had some really crappy ones and I've even been in like um I was in Montgomery County Youth Shelter for a while and I actually kind of enjoyed it because it was very structured so I, I know that like a lot of people are really had very very bad experiences with foster care but for me it actually saved my life um yeah I very much believe that I I was lucky to get away from my parents and go into care 
and I get that. I I know, you know, it's like all of us. We're always. I don't recommend it. Like I don't. I don't recommend yeah. it. <laughs> but like we're always saying this disclaimer. We're not saying kids should stay in bad homes. You know, because like that's like people are like, well, what about you? Should they be stuck in this system? Well, sometimes, you know, I mean, if it is that bad at home where they legitimately are not safe in it, not that they're necessarily going to be safe in the foster care system because that's a crapshoot too. You never know what kind of parents you're going to yeah, have in foster care. I've heard some horror stories on TikTok already from foster survivors. And so, I mean, it's got to be a given. Like these people that try to gaslight adoptees and they're always throwing that in our face. Oh, what about orphanages and staying in the foster care system and which i've done i've done all of them yeah you have I've done all of them and i'm gonna say that like what i what i wanted was to be safe exactly you know if if it was in an adoptive home if it was in a foster situation if it was in a group home if it was in an orphanage i have never felt home or and i've never felt safe so when I speak up, it is so that we can do better for kids now. So that children who are in a crisis situation have a place to land that is safe where they get to keep themselves as intact as possible without all this loss. Yeah. yeah, definitely needs to be child centered. And if kids have been kept in the community, that's all the better. You know, it's yeah. it's it's hard to it's hard that that you and I going into our fifties are still seeing kids who are coming out of care, talk about the same issues that we had. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's weird. Like being on TikTok and seeing all these like younger adoptees and they're now saying the stuff that like I've been talking about for years and it's like, I'm glad they're talking about it, but I wish they weren't. Yeah. They didn't have to. Yeah. You know, it, it is hard. How, how awesome are like these younger gens though, because they don't hold back. They no. are, you know, You're like, like you know, our, yourself. our generation had to be polite and nice and, you know, but like these younger gens, I, I love, I love them calling us out. I love them calling out their, their elders. It's great. <laughs> I'm all for it. They're, uh, they're interesting to watch. That's for sure. And they- the way that they band together, the way that they are willing to listen to each other. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm nothing but impressed with these younger ones coming up. They're pretty amazing. Yeah. It's just like people have been speaking out against adoption for so long and have been the minority, but it's growing. You know, like Betty Jean Lifton was one of the originals there was another one she recently passed away oh my god i can't remember her name right now but she was one of the original adoptee um advocates for reform um from a long time ago i think she was like in her 80s and just recently passed away and i'm i'm so glad to hear like more and more voices like of people speaking out like there's so many people on twitter and so many people on facebook and so many people on tiktok and on instagram and like those are the ones that i i have been on and stuff like that and so i might even be seeing the same people (laughs) yeah but like i'm glad that there are so many people that are speaking out like one person says something negative 
you know, towards a, a post by an adoptee. And then other adoptees are like, hey, uh, they're not alone, you know, because I feel the same way. And I like that about it, you know? Yeah. Or even I find it really interesting when other communities who have been oppressed that are not adopted say something and speak to it. You know, um, white woman whisperer had, had made a post and she was like, so adoption is like, you know, this ultimate gaslighting. And it was like really amazing to have someone else outside of our community yes, who previously had thought that like adoption was, you know, a good thing to come to terms and say like, and listen and listen to us. Like we're being heard outside of just a people in you know the constellation of adoption yeah that has been really awesome to have those other people you know and then there's people who are like you know like i really don't know enough about adoption so they just leave it alone but listen but at least they're they're willing to say like i don't know enough about it because for a very long time people will be like well you're just wrong because you know you're wrong (laughs) because i know so-and-so who's adopted they're just fine right yeah that's my favorite it's like that doesn't mean you know their actual lived experience so sure. Oh, I, I I've gotten snarky with that one. Like, oh my God, Billy knows an adoptee. Everybody stop talking about your lived experience. Don't put away your your uh, your peer-reviewed research. Billy knows someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's getting late. Um I've I've enjoyed talking to you. I don't want to keep you too late because I know you got to get up too in the morning. Yeah, I do. So was there anything else you wanted to add? I love your braid, by the way. Oh, thanks. My my ponytail holder keeps falling out. Um, No, I don't think there is. I think that, you know, when it comes to adoption, people should be really, if you truly love children and you really care about them, the most loving thing you could do is listen to people who have been there and done that. Right, right. And not you know, at least if you're going to adopt, like maintain ties with the original family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so that, I mean, so many people, it seems they get really possessive. Like I've seen so many people comment about, oh, like, oh, well, I'm not going to take in a kid if they're not mine. And it's like, you don't have to have the legal process of adoption to love a child. They get possessive of somebody else adopting a child. Like that's their child now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you why are you debating this? You're you're not even an adoptee or adopting. You're just, I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. My mom was really dismissive. Whenever I had questions, of course I had a closed adoption, so there was no info. And it would be like, she would just brush it off, be like, Well, it doesn't matter, you're ours now. And that always it never sat right with me. Yeah. First off, so it doesn't matter. So well, it matters to me. <laughs> Yeah, it does. But you learn how to hide that as an adoptee. Oh, yeah. It's it's compartmentalizing. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it makes your parents visibly uncomfortable. You 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 know, they send silent signals that it's not OK to ask about this or talk about it. Yeah, that's a that's a survival technique that, you know, that we do because yeah. we want to survive, you know. Yeah. I wish I could stop doing it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, you know, would be nice to drop about ourselves. I know, but it's really hard to like unlearn it. And I very often, I like, I struggle with like, is it ADHD or is it adoption trauma? (laughs) What am I suffering from right now? I just know I'm suffering, but I can't label it. (laughs) 
PTSD and ADHD symptoms are very close to each other. And it's my, my last therapist, she said that, you know, ADHD can be an, just like a trauma symptom, you know, and I'm like, Oh, good. Uh, uh, Okay. Yeah. My, my therapist said to not worry about the diagnosis, but to treat the symptoms. And I was like, okay, that, that works. (laughs) Yeah. That's a better way to look at it for sure. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on and I'll see you around TikTok. All right. I'll be there. (laughs) All right. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.